Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts chapter 1. We've been working our way through our core values series here at Buffalo City Church. Uh, this is our fifth week. Next week we're going to actually, we're going we're to shift away from this, but we're going to shift gears a little bit and Mark is actually going to talk a little bit in summary about what um, what we've talked about over the last five weeks, because this stuff is really, really important for us as a, as a community. It's really, really important for us as a community of faith to continue to talk through some of these, and these really important, important uh, things, doctrinal distinctions that set us apart. So if you're in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read this morning verses 6 through 11. I'll just go ahead and follow along with me as I read these. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or epics which the Father has fixed in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on him, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky, while he was, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. Um, in 1997, Korean Air Flight 801 crash-landed into Nimitz Hill in Guam. It was a flight to Guam. Um, when, 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 so an initial, uh, when initial investigation took place, they understood that, that the pilot was exhausted, and initially they blamed the, the, the crash on, on exhaustion. Um, but, but this was a bigger problem for Korean Air. Korean Air had multiple crashes at a much higher, higher rate than other, uh, than other airlines at the time. And so a, a large-scale investigation was launched into, well, why is that the case? Why is that going on? And, and a larger-scale investigation into this one particular incident showed that uh, the, the co-pilot and the flight engineer both knew the danger that was at hand, and yet failed to communicate effectively to the pilot that there was danger and that there was going to be a crash. Um, in, in 2000, as a result of this and these other crashes in 2000, uh, Korean Air hired uh, a former vice president of Delta Airlines, uh, David Greenberg was this man's name, they hired him. And he, he immediately did something that would seem a little bit strange to us. He immediately said, hey, this is Korean Air, but something that we're going to do is we're going to make English the official language of Korean Air. I'm going to explain that because that sounds weird. That sounds weird. Why would, why would he show up and, and, and say, well, we're going to make English the, the official language? The reason he did that is in Korean, in the Korean language, there's what's referred to as a high power distance. Okay? So up here you have someone with a significant amount of authority, say a pilot, and someone with a significant less amount of authority, say the co-pilot or flight engineer. And the way that people with less authority address people with higher authority um, is 
is in hinting or making suggestions and not directed despite the situation. So David Greenberg's, uh, his desire to change the, the official language of Korean air from Korean to English was because English has a much lower power distance. So you and I, despite, despite what we might, where we might be on the socioeconomic scale, despite where your authority might be and my authority, I can speak to you very directly in the English language. You see, when, when, uh, when, Korean, uh, when Korean Air sort of picked up on this, their, their crashes and their, the, the, the problems that they had went down significantly. So, so in this particular incident, in 1997, in this, in this, this uh, Korean Air Flight 801, when the co-pilot and flight engineer, they were in a clear state of mind, much clearer than the pilot, right? But they had no way to communicate effectively the danger that was at hand. Um, English was spoken then, after that point, after 2000, English was spoken in the cockpit. And when there, there was a time of emergency or that needed to be mitigated, it was very clearly stated rather than being hinted at or suggested because of a much lower power distance. And so I hope you see where I'm going with this. This this, this morning, what we're talking about this morning is, is sort of part two of what we talked about last week. This is sort of the flip side of the same coin. So last week we talked about being authentic in fellowship and what that looks like. And that, that is born up out of our identity in Jesus. So we're authentic in fellowship as those who are living stones for uh, being built into a spiritual house, right? And so we have this proximity that's together. But we recognize now that, that even our identity in that, like, there's, there's a whole lot more in that. And when we talked about that First Peter passage last week, 1 Peter pa uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, at the end was sort of the result. The result was given to us in order that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into, into marvelous light. And so I hope you see how important identity is. In this particular incident, when we have this Korean Air flight, uh, the, their identity, the identity of the co-pilot and the identity of the flight engineer actually prevented them from making a statement despite the fact that hundreds of people were in peril. It prevented that from taking place. Uh, the the uh, remember that we had a prompt last week at the end of at the end of the sermon. There was a prompt, and I ask you to consider this week how your identity or how your perceived identity shapes how you engage your world. Right? And I hope that I hope that that's clear. Um, that that if we find our identity in Jesus, if we are find our identity first and foremost in Jesus, that we will engage our world in a very 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 specific way. So let's talk about, just as by way of introduction, let's talk about the, the core values that we've been talking about. So last week we said we sort of have two tiers of these core values, right? So we have centered in the gospel, the understanding that we have a purpose as a people, right? We have a purpose as a people, and that's to bring God glory. And the gospel is the means by which we are capable of bringing God glory. And then we said that we were grounded in scripture. And like we talked about in our community before, we're grounded in Scripture because that's the way in which God is communicating to us who He is, and then in light of that, who we are, and then and then as a result, uh, and then and then the way through which He is engaging our world, the way that He is saving, the way that He's making provision for us in order to restore broken relationship, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then three weeks ago, we talked about being faithful. Two weeks ago, we talked about being faithful in worship. We talked about this, this setting here, right? That we, that we uh, prepare an expectation, that we gather in joy, and that we respond in obedience going out from here. So this, this context here is not the sum total of what we do throughout the course of the week, but it is, it is sort of like it operates a bit as, as an anchor because we can come together as a family and engage one another, go out from here. We participate together, whether it be listening, whether it be singing, proclaiming truths about who God is through song. Maybe also, um, also like speaking words about about what's going on in your community group. And then last week we talked about being authentic in fellowship and what that means and the identity that we have in Jesus. And again, this this morning I hope you see that this is the flip side of, the, of that same of that same coin. So this morning, actually, the, the core values you see up there is it's radical admission. And that sounds a little weird. That sounds a little awkward. Um, but radical admission is the way that we've decided to, to characterize this. And the, the reason that we've set, set these up in this way is I think because we as the church, as people, have been really good at compartmentalizing our lives. Really, really good at compartmentalizing our lives. So the church for a long time is sort of like we're putting everything in a box, right? We sort of have a, we have a program for this and a program for this and a program for this. We do discipleship over here, we do evangelism over here, uh, we do decorating over here, and whatever. And everybody sort of has their role, they have their niche, and they do their thing, and then they leave after Sunday and never engage again on Sunday morning. Whether it be with their own community, or whether it be with the community at large. But something that's really been on our hearts, even throughout this entire church planning process, is that uh, we don't want to be those who compartmentalize. We want to avoid that tendency at all costs. We want to avoid that tendency at all costs. Um, so mission is probably, just as a reflection on this, is probably the biggest place where we compartmentalize in the church. I think we, we, we turn that into a program. We turn it into outreach. We turn it into a trip. We turn it into a weekend. Um, and and we, don't, we don't pursue it in our daily lives. It's not something that's part of what we do regularly uh, in our daily lives. And it sort of feels weird and awkward that we even like, bring it up. Just, engaging our world with the gospel is, is a hard thing. And I, like, what I want to like, propose to you this morning is that it's not, it's not simply about just like, going out and sharing Jesus. This is about intentionally living life daily with gospel fluency, like we talked about, infused into who we are and what we do. That's right. um, and, and so, even as we like, read this passage in Acts, and we're going to look at this passage, even as we look at this passage in Acts, we sort of get this like, really weird and awkward like, portrait of the, of the disciples, right? They're just like asking the wrong questions. This is kind of like a, the whole breadth of what the disciples are doing, right? Throughout, like even all of the Gospels, like when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, like the, 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 the disciples are always kind of like asking the wrong questions or putting the emphasis in the wrong place. And Jesus is just like course correcting and saying, no, like that's not what we're doing here. Like this is the point. This is the purpose. So even when we get to this text, it's really funny because they, they ask a question and Jesus is like, guys, come on. Like, you, did, you, did you just see what happened? Did you see that I, I died? And I was I was buried and I rose from the dead and then I hung out with you for like forty days and then and then what and then and now you're asking me this question are you kidding? But but we'll we'll, we'll dive into that in a minute. 
But the disciples were really weird and awkward in this, in this passage, and that's really what kind of gives us the thrust for this text and the understanding that we have. Um, but a big part of Jesus' response um, shows us that, that we are human, right? That his response to the disciples and their, their question is, is, is one that demonstrates to us that they're really good at compartmentalizing, and so are we. So let me read our, our core value this morning. Let me read uh, what we've written that sort of defines what it means for us to be radical in mission. Jesus' life and ministry set the standard as one that is pointed to and or that one that pointed to, let me start that again. Jesus' life and ministry set the standard as one that pointed to and accomplished redemption, restoration, and reclamation. Christ's final commission to his followers was to make disciples of all people, to baptize them in his name, and to be witnesses of what he had done in the immediate community and abroad. As those who seek to uphold Christ's commands, the local church, in the power of the Spirit, ought to faithfully engage the community with and bear witness to the good news of the gospel, desiring to see the reconciliation of Christ transform the world in which we live. The call to know God through Christ is universal. It's for all people. And it is the responsibility of every believer to proclaim the unaltered, uncompromised gospel. Okay. So, so we see that this, this is part of who we are. Being radical in mission is part of who we are. And so, and so this is our big idea this morning. This is what I want to state. Like, this is what you take away, right? The identity that we have in Jesus includes mission. Very simple. Very simple statement. The identity that we have in Jesus includes mission. Okay, and what we're going to do then this morning is look at this text in Acts, and I, the, the sort of what I want to guide us is sort of the two questions that we see, right? We see two questions, one in verse 6. Lord, is it, time you are, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And then the second question we see of the two men in white ask in verse 11. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Those two questions are going to direct what we're going to talk about this morning. So first question, is that at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So the question for us when we look at that is like, what are the disciples even asking Jesus? What are they even asking? They're asking something like very political in nature. So Israel had been occupied for, they were exiled, and then they had been occupied after that, even as they were allowed to go back into Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of the temple. This had been going on for about 600 years. It's a long time. And what they're saying is like, hey, is it now time that we get to, we get to be free? Is it now time that we get to do what we want because you came and you did these things that you said that you were going to do. So now is the time that we get to cast off the chains of this like political oppression, and we get to do whatever whatever we want and and and, and move the direction that we want. And it, and here, Jesus is like his uh, his response is basically like he's just like this is this is our just kind of like look on his face like no, and you're not even asking. <laughs> like that that's sort of like the response that I, I sort of feel like he gives. Like, no, you're not you're not asking the right thing. Like what what are you asking? She's like, so um when and basically his answer is just like when when stuff is supposed to happen, you'll know. 
Like you'll know it, but, but I'm not gonna like, it's, it's not now, and it's not in five minutes, but you, you'll know. Like you'll know what it happens. It's not for you to know the times and et or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know that. But when it does happen, you'll know. And then he says, the question that you should be really asking, the question that he answers, despite the fact that they don't ask it, is what happens now? What happens now for us? What do we do now? Here's what happens. Jesus says very clearly, you're going you're gonna to get the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, He's going to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so the, the answer is sort of threefold, right? Get power through the Spirit, um, and you become witnesses. You become witnesses. And then finally, to the, that witness is to extend everywhere universally. And so we use witness sort of, and I want to, I want to kind of hone in on that second part of that, right? Because, because I think that, that the witnesses, you will be my witnesses, is kind of the part where you sort of like stop, we sort of trip up over that a little bit. Um, but when we use witness in a really strange way as Christians, typically, we say like, oh, I witnessed that person, or something along those lines. But, but language is really important. And I hope, I hope that you see that here, particularly in this text. You say something like, I witnessed my friend. Maybe that, that just feels weird. That feels weird. That's not how we use that term anywhere else in language. So why have we as the church taken that term and, and exclusively verbed it? Right? We've taken it. We've turned it into a verb. Like, like um, I, you know, you know, what are John Travolta's best moves? I don't know. Google it. Like, we verb Google. Google's a, a, a noun. We take it and we like make it something that we do. There's like, hey, when's so and so's birthday? I don't know. Facebook now. Well, I mean, like, d d Facebook is like a person, place, or thing. It's not. It's not an action. But we do that same thing with witness, right? We do that same thing with witness. We say well, we go. We go witness to. Well, well, that's not. That's not what even the way that Jesus uses this word. And so, and, and, so, and so when we look at the term witness, we look, at, look at how he states this in the second half of verse 8. And you shall be my witnesses, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest part of the earth. He says, you will be, be implies existence. Be gives us identity. When you say something like, I am, um, I am a doctor. You're, I am a doctor. That, that's part, that's identity, right? And he's saying be. This is a to be verb. It's saying you, th this is who you are. You are my witnesses. He's like, he said, he's saying to them, he's like, guys, guys, look at this, look at this. He said, you saw all that I did. I was healing the sick. I was allowing the blind to see. <clears throat> I was doing all sorts of miracles in your midst. You heard all that I said, all that I taught. You were with me this whole time. You watched me die. You watched me be raised from the dead. 
You watch me, they're like, I'm standing before you now. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. So what does a witness do? This is, this is very simple. This is, like, this is like baseline stuff. These are like baseline definitions that we have, but somehow we just got them all screwed up in our, in our, in our language and our verbiage and the way that we talk. A witness is someone, this is just a definition that I pulled, a witness is someone who has, who claims to have, or is thought by someone with authority to compel testimony, to have knowledge relevant to an event, or other matter of interest. So we have the ability to speak the testimony of what God has done, right? We have, this, we have the ability to speak the testimony of what God has done because of what he's given us in his word, because of what he's done for us in our own lives and transforming our lives. The power of the Spirit have now come upon us if we are in Christ. We, we speak testimony of that. We bear witness to what he has done. We are witnesses of that. In the same way that the disciples were. We've been given that identity, right? Jesus gives this identity very clearly to the disciples. We've been given that identity to speak this testimony of what the ultimate authority and the creator of all things has done in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. It shaped us and transformed us and, and turned us into something totally and completely new. So our identity is wrapped up in what God has done in Jesus. And now, just remember last week's text, right? We have the ability now to bear witness to what he's done in our lives and then to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what's happened. That's what we're bearing witness to. We're witnesses of the fact that we have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. So this first question sort of takes us down, back down that identity path, right? takes us back down that identity passage. Like, this is not just what we do, it's who we are. And who we are compels what we do. But somehow in, in the church, somehow in this, in this Christian culture, we've reduced these things to just stuff that we do, and we compartmentalize it, we toss it in a box, and we just say, it's over there, that's someone else, that guy's an evangelist, not me. It's not true. Like, we are called to bear witness to what God has done in our lives. Okay, just for the answer to that first question, uh, Lord, as at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel, and then we get the you're asking the wrong question. Here's the answer. So this is what's happening now. You will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will bear witness universally to everyone. So we we then look at the second question that we have in this text in verse 11. They also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand?" looking into the sky. Why do you stand looking into the sky? And it's rhetorical because they don't, they don't answer the question. They're like, well, I don't know. Like, they don't actually answer the question. But, but the two men in white then say very specifically, sort of like after this rhetorical question, this Jesus who has been taken up into heaven will come, just, uh, come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And so, like, the answer is simple. Jesus is going to come back, right? The answer is simple. Jesus is going to come back. But there's sort of this implied understanding, like, why would they ask that question? Because they were standing there doing nothing. 
They were standing there doing nothing. They were standing there looking into the sky, just like, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? Even though Jesus had just told them exactly what was going to happen. And so this is where the compartmentalization of the, of the disciples becomes very, very clear, right? Okay, so Jesus went up and was like, what are we going to do now? Just wait, what do we do? I don't know. Let's hang out. And these guys are like, why are you just standing here? That, they're like, well, now I'm looking up into the sky. But, but later, I guess, we're going to go do some discipleship. And then, and then maybe later we'll, 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 we'll take our kids to Disney World. I don't know. We're just like, we're just compartmentalizing everything. Just like now, later, later, like check, 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 right off the, right off the, the list. But again, I just, I can't, I can't state this enough. In First Peter, it's like, you're, this is an identity that you have, a chosen race. Well, priesthood, people for his own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellences of him who's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And that's your identity. And it's time, what they're, asking, what they're saying, this rhetorical question, why are you looking up the sky? It's time now to act out the identity that you've been given in Jesus. And not only has God granted them a new identity, and then us subsequently, but, but that acting out happens as the result of the indwelling spirit that is promised to the disciples. Obviously, this hasn't quite happened because if you, if you know the, sort of this narrative in Acts, like when we move into uh, chapter 2, we're going to have the day of Pentecost where the spirit descends on, on, the, on, the, on the apostles. Um, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead then is, is a fixed and a seal. There's a, a guarantee of the identity that we have in Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you can be certain that your identity is fixed, that your identity is certain, that it's unchanging, unwavering, not gonna, not gonna, nothing, nothing can disrupt it because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives you power. And you then shall be my witnesses. And Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and even in the remotest parts of the earth. And this power, this power is, is, the, is the seal and the guarantee, but also what gives us the ability to carry out the identity. Like, who we are, and then from it, what we do, is all empowered by the Spirit of Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells, if you're in Christ, gives us the ability to carry out the identity and gives us the ability to know that our identity is certain, it's sure, it's never changing. So just a couple of things this morning in, in conclusion, a little by way of the practical. So in, even as we move through this, like this is, this is sort of the understanding of why we want to be on mission together. Like, why we want to do this. And a lot of these things are going to be fleshed out this week in your community group. Um, in, in, in whenever your community group meets or whenever there's some questions back there for you to grab in your community group, we'll have those and email those to you as well. Um, but but so, so a lot of those practical, like, day-to-day -day things are going to be fleshed out there. So I'm not going to dive directly into a lot of those. Um, but I just want to ask, sort of as we're coming to the end of each of these core values in this series, we just want to ask a couple of questions about what this looks like in our lives. So the question, uh, why do we describe ourselves as radical in mission? I hope that you see this through what we've seen in the book of Acts here. Because we want to carry out the identity. Because we want to do what, uh, an act in accordance to who we are. 
Because we're called to that. Like, we're called to act in obedience. It's not just because here's a command. It's not just because here's a thing to do. But it's because I have made you into something, and now you do in accordance to it. You have been free from sin, and now you have the ability to act the way that God intended for you to act. And not only do we want to carry out this identity, we want to carry out thoroughly. And that's why you use the word radical, right? We want to carry it out to its, to its logical conclusion. We want to take it from, from start to finish. We want to be a people who are marked by a dramatic understanding of who we are and then a dramatic ability to act in accordance to it. We understand that how we engage our world is dramatically shaped by our identity, which is sort of that prompt from last week, right? How does your identity uh, change how you sh or shape how you engage your world? So that's the first question. Why do we describe ourselves as radical mission? Because we want to carry out the identity that we have in Jesus. We want to carry it out thoroughly. And then second question this morning, how do we not get stuck looking into the sky? Because we're good. Again, this is a compartmentalization issue, right? We're, we're good at getting stuck looking into the sky. Like, the church has been good at, I mean, like, practically it's been good at, at this sort of thing, getting together on a Sunday. It's been good. But we don't want to get stuck looking at the sky. Because we want to understand that our mission is not, not, just, to, not just to do things like this and proclaim the excellencies uh, but, but to proclaim them abroad, proclaim them to Jerusalem, to our Judea and Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. And if we sort of flip back a few books to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We also then want to be those who are making disciples, because we ourselves are disciples. Do you see? Identity then prompts the action. If we're followers of Jesus, we want to see others become followers of Jesus. And we want to live out that identity of witness, right? We are witnesses. We don't witness. We are witnesses. And this, I want to show you this too. Like, this is not just, this is not just a, a, a story that's just like, go share Jesus. Like, we said that like right at the beginning. This is not just go share Jesus. This is, this is infuse your life with gospel understanding. Infuse your life with gospel understanding. It's encouraging your brothers and sisters in community group. It's like you're proclaiming the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into marvelous light by encouraging your brothers and sisters in community group that things are going well. Or even when they are. When you see someone who does something and you're just like, man, I celebrate you, brother. I celebrate the way that God is working in your life. That's proclaiming the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or it's showing love by listening to a coworker who's going through a tough time. You're proclaiming the excellencies of who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. It's relating to how the gospel impacts your unbelieving family member that's struggling with cancer. You're, you're proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. And, and all of these things are done with the intent 
of preaching, of speaking, of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Right? That understanding that we had a relationship with Jesus that was broken by sin and that needed dramatically to be restored. And the only way that that's restored is through the shed blood of Jesus. And now we, we serve a God, or Jesus Christ, who, who ascended into heaven, even as we read in our passage this morning, rules and rights in the Father's right hand, has given us the power to be his witnesses. This is what the intent is. Like, we're proclaiming these things. It's not just go share Jesus. It's, it's engage your world with the gospel. And, and, and don't, don't hear me say this, because, because we need to share the, the, the gospel verbally as well. We need to be those who, who, who recognize and understand the impact of the gospel in our daily lives in the, way that, in the way that we can speak truth into someone's life that's going to, whether it be a believer or unbeliever, the gospel is for everyone. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, I saw this quote this week. St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I want to uh, I want to I want to say to you that that's not right. That's incorrect. Paul writes to Titus that our conduct adorns the gospel, but it is not the gospel. We need to speak. We need to say the gospel. It is if we confess with the mouth, our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. There's no way that we as a people uh, cannot verbally speak the gospel and expect people to. Be to be saved, to, to make that confession with your mouth. So I just want to consider just a couple more things with you. And, and, and so, but I want to do it in this in this way. If you'll just like, we're just going to pray through a couple things together this morning, just in conclusion. So you just bow your head and take a minute. A, a big part of this is just, just our understanding of, of opportunities in our lives. Like, um, I, I, I think... I think this is exactly what Mark is referring to when he talked about at the beginning of the service, like having your God radar up. Um, we want to be thinking about opportunities and ways that we can impact our world um, with the good news of the gospel. And the only way that we can do that is we take our, our, the focus of our daily lives off ourselves and recognize and understand what God is doing in our, in our lives in our hearts and in our minds and in our context and wherever we reside. So just take a minute and pray that God would show you those opportunities this week, that you could be speaking gospel truth, that you could be listening to the co-worker who's going through some tough stuff, that you could be that you should be uh, talking through how that gospel impacts the unbelieving family members' life. You can be encouraging your brothers and sisters in the community. Just think about those things. Those are just some examples. about some of these things more and more in community group, but, but we want to we also emphasize the fact that just think about this, like that the front door to any like relationship with Jesus is relationship in general. That we as a people are, if we're proclaiming the excellences of him, in every area of life, if we're proclaiming those excellences of him, it was called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Um, Maybe the easiest way to demonstrate that in those opportunities is through the Sunday morning context, or maybe it is um, in a community group setting, or just a meal together, or coffee, or lunch. 
Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, or someone who does and just needs to be built up in the good news of the gospel. And maybe it is even now that someone is coming to mind, as you're thinking about someone in your world, just like an opportunity that you had, and hope that you just pray to God that, that, would, that, that those opportunities would continue to be cultivated. Also, just think for a minute about how, in this community, in this context, whether people you know in this Sunday morning worship setting, or in your community group, how you can be encouraging them as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Understanding of the gospel would grow. We pray that together, that our understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus would grow. Because that's where we're finding our identity. Even as my wife talked this morning about reading through the Bible with other ladies, consider this week like how it looks really life is messy, that life is busy, but just consider what it looks like to spend time in God's Word. Think about opportunities to encourage your brothers and sisters as well to spend time in God's Word, to grow in their understanding of your gospel. sides of this coin, the authentic and fellowship, as living stones being built up into a spiritual house, and the, the ultimate result to be, like we talked about today, to proclaim the excellences of who is called you of darkness and the marvelous light. The two sides of that coin, consider then how important our identity is, and, 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 who, and how who we are determines what we do. This mission part, even as we Get ready and prepare. Some of us tonight, some of us tomorrow night, some of us Tuesday night, some of us Thursday night. Prepare to talk about how some of these things flesh themselves out a little bit more in the community group context, very practically. Consider how mission is a very real part of our identity. Pray that God would continue to cultivate that idea in us. It's not just about doing things. Or having something over here that we do or something that we say but that really is rooted in who we are because of what God has done for us in Jesus.